Good morning. Herb Oscar Anderson. Hello again, and welcome back to the return of the Morning Mayor, season two. And thank you, as always, for spending your time with us, because I know there's a lot of podcasts out there and other options, and you've stuck with us through thick and thin. And ladies, we have a lot going on today in this episode. Who are we talking to? Well, we're going to be talking to Ron Dante, uh, a lead singer for the band the archies and they had a number one hit called sugar sugar as well as another group that he sang for the cufflinks which they had a number one hit uh or in the number 10 area there around there of um tracy are we gonna sing sugar sugar Dun, 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 dun. Oh, honey, honey. You were my candy girl. And you got me going. Wanting. Wanting you. That's a pretty heavy lyric. Go. I don't know. Oof. Yeah. Hot yeah. and spicy. Yeah, well, it's how did the parents how did the parents handle that? It was a comic book. Turn off that right, rock so and roll bit, music. A little bit on the comic book because I'm I'm catching up here, right? So we, he did he does discuss this, which this yes. is what I learned in his interview. Yes. Uh, so we'll save it for that. But just the gist of it was the Archies was a comic strip, correct? The Archies was a comic book. Comic which, book with Archie, Veronica, um, uh, Jughead, Jughead, Reggie, and there was one other girl, Betty. Betty was with Archie. Yes. Okay, so then it turned into a cartoon on television or no no not a not a no, television cartoon it, it was no. just the music they had the music it was bubblegum pop okay great all right well he gets into it i know in the interview here but um a wonderful man and an interesting life and uh great interview enjoy Welcome back to the Return of the Morning Mayor. This is Carla Baskerin along with Sue Kennedy, and we have a great guest who's going to be speaking us all about the 60s and music, uh, everything. And a wonderful life. And a wonderful life. Mr. Ron Dante. Welcome. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yes. And um, I realize you're from Staten Island, New York, and um, again, we're talking about your career, but also I was wondering if you could hit on a little bit about my dad, the morning mayor of New York. Well, I grew up listening to him. Uh, of course, in Staten Island, we got that that uh, radio station loud and clear every day. And of course, it was the biggest station in the world. Uh, and I would listen to him every morning. And w- during the 60s, when I had some hit records, he would actually play two of my records every hour. Uh, and a commercial of mine, because I was a commercial singer. So it was a thrill listening to his voice uh, announcing my groups each day, and he didn't even know it was the same person. (laughs) Nobody knew it was the same person. But that was was fun. It was was just great. But when you went on WABC... Uh, with your record, it was that meant that it was a huge hit all over the country already. Uh, they did not jump on records early. They they waited for the you know the population of America to you know make sure that this was a hit song and a hit record by a hit group. Mm-hmm. And when they finally went on it, you knew you had reached the top of the pile. Wow. It was just the, the top of the heap. It was just great. So you guys were dialed in. You were listening to see what was being played. 
Oh yeah. The thing was, there weren't that many songs being played. Uh, there was, I think, I think ABC had the shortest playlist in the country. Uh, it was, it was, it only had the monster hits of the time. Mm-hmm. So people really got to know the artists and the songs because they heard them constantly. Would you know that your song was going to be on the very first time you hear your song on the radio? Do you just happen to hear it or do you know it's coming? I just happened to hear it. I'd be driving into Manhattan because I had I worked for a publisher at the time and uh, I was I would drive in every day from Staten Island and turn my radio to to WABC and listen like crazy. So one morning uh, in 1969, boom, all of a sudden it was getting played. They, they announced the first time we're playing it. And I almost drove off the road. I was just so uh, what a feeling that all my, all my family and friends would hear it now. All right. So this was the Archies and your number one hit, which was Sugar Sugar, correct? That's correct. And yeah. then the Cufflinks, uh, which was Tracy. So you were a singer for... Both bands, right? Right. Okay, so the Archies was after a comic book, which I know as a kid, I read cover to cover, the Archies. It was Archie, Jughead, Veronica, and Betty. And I was there anybody else that I'm missing? I don't, I don't think so. Reggie. Reggie, Reggie oh, was Reggie. also Archie, Archie's rival, kind of, for Veronica. Right, right. Uh, it, it was a great love triangle. Yes. I, I grew up reading yeah. the same comic book. I was a huge Archie's fan as a, as a kid. And so when I was offered the job by uh, a music uh, supervisor named Don Kirshner, uh, I jumped at the chance. I, I, just, I just knew this was going to be a hit cartoon series on uh, CBS. So I was really, I was really, it was a thrill to get that call from Donnie and say, come on over and why don't, you, why don't we try your voice on one of the tracks. And, and did you think that Sugar, Sugar was going to be as big of a hit as it was or were you surprised? You know, I was surprised. I would love to be able to say, oh, I knew from the minute we cut it, it was going to be a hit. But I really didn't because we did hundreds of songs Mm -hmm. for the TV series over a three-year period. Uh, A lot of songs, a lot of uh, uh, short dances and things. So it it was one of many. The only thing I remember about the Sugar Sugar session was it took longer to get the rhythm track together. It took like two hours to get that pocket of rhythm together and the sound of the keyboards playing the figure pop 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 and it took me i and i made a, a real effort to develop a really different type of voice for sugar sugar uh-huh. so i know we worked harder on it and i was very pleased that that became the single and it was the break, breakout single for the archies it sold six million copies wow. uh, around the world it was number one people didn't even know it was a comic book group they just loved the archies well, I didn't know that that came from... I didn't either. I, I, I mean, I know that song. I hear that song. I know everything. I know the words to that song, but I didn't I didn't know it was a, from a cartoon. I, di- I didn't. But, but can we go back? Yeah. Okay. Now, I am just fascinated. Uh, the people that I looked up who were um, singers at that time, it seems like most of you were singing at the ages of like 16, 17, 18, working in the Brill building, um, what was what was the vibe? I, were there so many record labels in New York City that people were just clamoring to get artists? What was what was happening? I think it, I think it has to do with access. There were two buildings. Uh, first of all, I started when I was seventeen, 
And, and I started across the street from the Brill Building, which was the music mecca building. Uh, but there was another building across the street called 1650 Broadway, which was housed the Winter Garden. And in that building were numerous managers, publishers, agents, record companies, you name it. It was just full. Every floor had them. And the same thing with the Brill Building. Uh, you, could, you could walk up and down those floors and you could find a, a, a small record company like Redbird Records or you could find a music publisher like Bobby Darren had his own music publishing company in 1619, which was uh, the Brill Building. Um, but Donnie was, Don Kirshner was in the other building, 1650, and we, we had access. We could actually walk into a, a, a music publisher and say, I write songs. Could anybody around here want to hear them? Anybody? And people would listen. That's anybody great. could come just in. just go anybody. in the building? Yeah. Right. Wow. Yeah, yes. It wasn't like an armed camp. It wasn't like a bank that it is today. You mm-hmm. can't you can't even get through on the phone, much less through a front door. We know but that. In those days, <laughs> it was it was much looser, and and people would sing in the hallways in the Brill Building because they echoed really beautifully. That first floor hallway was all tile and big, so there would be groups doing doo-wop in one section, and then somebody outside would be singing. Uh, everybody trying to get a chance. Uh, I know I went from door to door sometimes trying to get my songs published. And uh, you get a lot of no's, but once in a while somebody needs songs and, and they liked what you came up with. Okay, so I have a question. Uh, what is doo-wop? What is it made up of? I know I've seen bubblegum pop, pop, uh, adult contemporary, but doo-wop, is there a certain configuration that you need to have to be a doo-wop? group yes i think it, you need four or five people mm-hmm. who sing harmonies together one lead singer one bass singer and the three in the middle do the harmonies they make up the parts like like going all the way back to frankie lyman and the teenagers why do fools fall in love mm-hmm. if you listen to that there's a bass voice there's a there's a there's the three backgrounds and then there's frankie doing a great lead and actually wrote that song so a doo-wop comes from doo-wah you know, like when they do backgrounds, do ah, do ah, you know, things like that in three-part harmony. I'm sure it came out of that, but it's really street singing. And uh, it's really groups, you know, uh, up in Harlem, groups down in Little Italy, groups uh, in all over Manhattan were, were singing under street lights at night during the summer to, you know, just to get a song together and just to be making harmonies together. So I think that's where it came from. Some artists are called doo-wop when they're really not. Okay. When, they, when they, you know, they're, they're single artists, like Lou Christie is called a doo-wop artist. He's not a doo-wop artist. He's a pop singer and a, one of the best around with that falsetto. But uh, the rest of that's that's the short explanation. OK, because I've just been, you know, they say, oh, it's a doo-wop group. And I was thinking, what is a doo-wop group? I just ha- I have to ask somebody and thank you for the explanation. So yeah. you 90 percent of the 90 percent were, were, were uh, R&B groups, black groups. OK, uh, doo-wop. A lot of them were. So there were many white ones, but the majority of them were great black groups from Harlem and from uh, above 125th Street in Manhattan. So would you sing these these uh songs that people brought in or did you work in that side of it you said you worked on the opposite i think the brill building was for people who wrote like wasn't carol king there and a lot of other big writers yeah, yeah a lot of big writers were in the brill building jeff barry and ellie greenwich uh, lieber and stoller if you look up those names those they, they came up with a hundred hits wow. carol was across the street uh, at the Don Kirshner Publishing Company with me. Oh, okay. Uh, Carol King, oh. Jerry Goffin were at 1650 Broadway. 
And there's also uh, Neil Sedak and Howie Greenfield were in the fold of the Kirshner Publishing Company. Uh, you know, Man and Wild, Barry Mann, Cynthia Wild, who wrote You've Lost That Love and Feeling and 30 other hits. They were part of it. Donnie signed all the youngest writers in Manhattan who had potential and gave them a chance. He paid them a, a, an advance each week so they could live. And and they would write songs for him, and and they became he became the biggest pop publisher in New York in the '60s. Okay, and that's where we were housed. So here comes a stupid question: Do they do that now? Absolutely not. It, 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 it's a it's a forgotten thing. Nobody nobody does this anymore. Uh, the idea of you know signing a bunch of songwriters to your publishing company really has gone out of style. Uh, now, if a, if a person has a great song and they 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 publish it themselves, or they get, they sometimes they get it to a big firm, but you don't see uh, Sony ATV signing a, a bunch of writers. They just administer the catalogs. So it really is a lost lost thing in the music business, I think. Now, was this just was this in the '40s, the '50s, and the '60s, or was it, you know, how, what period of time did it end in the '70s? When when was it? Yeah, I, I would think the, the, the idea that Don Kirshner and, and, and Barry Gordy did it in, in Detroit, he had the same thing. He signed a ton of writers, a ton of producers, and all, the, and they all found artists that they could make stars, like the Supremes, the Four Tops, and Marvin Gaye. So it went on in both cities till about the 70s. I think it kind of ended in the 70s when I, I just saw the, the, those um, big groups of writers being signed to publishers were kind of petering out mm -hmm. and uh the artist the artist regained w way more control in the 70s and 80s i thought uh, but you had such a varied you were a songwriter you were a singer you were a session vocalist you're a record producer a broadway producer uh, i i think you've hit everything <laughs> i i did everything that i that i wanted to do uh, being in the mecca of of the music business in in the 60s and and the 70s exposed me to lots of things. Of course, the Brill Building is dead center in the theater industry, so I always wanted to get involved in theater in some way, either producer or songwriter or something. So I took the opportunities as they came along. Now, I, I read this, and again, it may not be true, but at 20, you raised a half a million dollars to put on your rock, uh, rock opera on Broadway. Is that true? That is true. Um, a friend of mine um, brought me into these producers. They were going to do a musical of Billy Budd, the uh, the movie, the novella, Herman Melville. So they said, could you write a rock score to it? So I did. Then they said, well, can you help us raise the money for it? I said, sure. So every Saturday night, we would have these meetings on the Upper East Side of Manhattan with dentists and lawyers and chiropractors and people who wanted to get into theater. And they would, they would, I would sing the entire score and the director would explain what was happening before and after each song. And by the end of the summer, we raised a half a million dollars. So it only took I you a summer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it took a summer. That was it. And I sold the publishing for $100,000, at least a piece of the publishing to us. I forget the name of the company or the guy, but somebody wanted to buy in and I, we let him. I said, good, we'll get this show on at least. So uh, Billy Budd debuted and, and it was it got one good review. And, and Doug Watt 
what at the uh, New York uh, what, the Daily News really liked it, called it a courageous musical. But the other guys were pretty snooty. They said, you know, it's not as good as Benjamin Britten's opera of Billy Budd, which is I never heard heard of. <laughs> but he obviously was a fa- it was a famous uh, English writer who wrote operas, and so so we got compared to that. But we were early. We were we were doing rock and roll on Broadway just before Hair, so it was a. Uh, you know, what, it, you, being before your time is, is worse than being after your time yes. because nobody gets yeah. it. Nobody gets it. How, how did you get started in the business originally? I know you were young and everything, but you just had an interest in, in, in music and performing and things like that. Is that how you really got started? Uh, I just, uh, I played guitar as a kid. I, I actually, the reason I played guitar, I've told this story, is... I was playing Tarzan as a 12-year-old, 13-year-old, and I fell out of a tree. And I busted up my arm really badly. And the guy said, you know, if you don't move it in some way, like a squeeze a ball, play an instrument, you, you may never, it may be stiff the rest of your life. So I was a huge Elvis Presley fan and Everly Brothers fan, those guys of the 50s. So my dad got me a guitar. And that started my interest in music. Uh, I started to write songs, and I formed a group, and we played uh, – little centers around uh, the three tri-state area. And um, it got me into Manhattan at some point with a manager. And that's where I met Don Kirshner. And Don Kirshner at 17 signed me to a publishing uh, sing- singing contract. Wow. Unbelievable. <clears throat> just unbelievable. And, it, is, it's just, and it, was, it all came from Don Kirshner. It all came from Donnie, who, who gave everybody a break. From Neil Sedaka to Tony Orlando to Carole King. I mean, he started all our careers. Now, now, are you also writing songs? I mean, that's got to be, I mean, you have to have a knack for that, I would think. It's just, I don't know, seems very difficult, but someone who can do it well. Is that something you enjoy or is that maybe well, not? I like it. It's fun. Yeah. No, it's fun. I like it. And also, it's always a collaboration with me. I, have a, I don't really write lyrics. So it's always, I'm hooking up with somebody who can write the words and come up with some some interesting titles and things and let me musicalize it. So uh, the the collaborations were always fun. They're always the best. I I, I wrote songs with Jeff Barry, who, uh, if you look him up, he's the most famous, one of the most famous songwriters in the world, writing Be My Baby and Hanky Panky. And I wrote with Howie Greenfield, who wrote uh, all the Neil Sedaka hits. These are two guys who could really write lyrics. So um, I was, uh, that's, that's the fun of it. You know, if you can't write the words, find somebody to write the words. If you can't write the melody, you know, you, you write the words. You know, I always say, do it, do what you like. Now, in, uh, starting in, is it 1973, you were a co-producer or producer with Barry Manilow and his first albums? Yes. Uh, I met Barry doing a commercial, a jingle for Pepsi. And uh, he said to me, I know you, I've heard you, you know, you had a couple of hit records and I'm working with this girl, Bette Midler. Uh, I want to be a soloist. I want to be a solo recording artist. I said, well, let me hear some of your songs. And he played me, Could It Be Magic? And from that day on, we became partners. I said, I'm going to produce you. I'll finance it. I'll take you into the studio. We'll do, we'll do it. And then we'll do a um, We'll do a big showcase in town. Bring I'll bring down some record company presidents. You can do the same. And we ended up with a record deal. And uh, I went on to work with him for at least nine, ten years. I did all his albums, all the big albums. You know, I did all of his hits right through. I, I made it through the rain from Mandy to I made it through the rain. So we had a pretty good run, I must say. I should say so. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> you're, you're magic, I think. <laughs> Everything you touch turns to gold. Now, <laughs> now you're still going, though, right? So is it uh, the Happy Together Tour? Is that happening soon? Yes. 
Yes, it's, uh, it starts in a month down in Florida. Uh, I, it's, it's funny, I, you know, because of the Archies, I didn't, pro, I didn't, because of producing, I didn't go on the road for many, many years. I didn't go out and sing Sugar Sugar and Jingle Jangle and Bang Shangalang, all the Archie hits or my Cufflinks hits. So all of a sudden, about in 2000, somebody called me and said, hey, why don't you come perform, put together an act, and why don't you do that? I said, well, that'd be fun. I, I haven't, I've never done it. I was scared to death. I did it. I found I really enjoyed it. So in uh, 2017, I was called by the Happy Together Tour people, and they said, we want you to be on the Happy Together Tour with the Turtles, uh, the Association, the Cow Sills, Gary Puckett, uh, Mark Lindsay. Uh, so I said, wow, what a great lineup, I said. And, we, and they said, we tour all over America, 50 dates at least. So I did it. And the next year, they called me up and they said, would you sing lead for the Turtles? The original lead singer's retiring. I said, wow. I said, I love those songs. Yeah. So I, I, I'm singing my Archie stuff and the, the Turtles songs every yeah. night. Happy uh, Together. I that's close the show. Together. That's that's their big isn't one, isn't that it? A, isn't that a, isn't that's a huge one? Yeah, that's that's the one everybody stands up and cheers and sings along. No, well, that's great. So it starts in a month, and it's going to go how long? Goes till September second. Wow. I mean, we go three months wow. over sixty dates. Oh, that's and, great. And, we'll have to we'll have yeah, to find I mean, one. And this year, yeah, this yeah. If you're new, you call me. I'll give. I'll make sure you can uh, you come to the show. Uh, you know who's adding to it is the classic Rock and Roll Hall of Fame singer, uh, Little Anthony. Oh, he's oh wow. He's going to be on the show. And he's got some beautiful, beautiful songs that he's going to do. So it's, it's a real, a, a really exciting thing to be on the bill with him this year. I started my career on a tour with him when I was 19. And it's so funny that we've never toured together and now we're touring together again. Yeah. <laughs> it comes full circle. It's a, it's a big circle. It's a full circle. And, and you have to appreciate that uh, good fortune smiles on you sometime. Right. That's right. Me. That's for sure. Uh, I just wa- also want to bring that you produced uh, Ain't Misbehaving on Broadway. That was a Tony Award winning Broadway play. Yes, I had, as I said, I always wanted to be involved in uh, theater in some way as a composer or as a producer. So uh, the funny thing is when I did Billy Budd, I met a guy named Emanuel Eisenberg, a very famous theater producer. If you look up Emanuel Eisenberg, he's won 20 Tonys and did Fiddler on the Roof. I mean, he was an unbelievable man. He contacted me and somebody said, would you like to get involved into Broadway? And I said, sure, sure. So uh, the first show, that, uh, I fr- it came through a friend of mine named uh, James Lipton, who had the, uh, the interview show on TV. And, and James said to me, would you like to do this uh, drama? I said, yeah, we did a thing called The Mighty Gents, which uh, did all right, but it failed. Uh, Morgan Freeman starred in it, so we, mm-hmm. that, that was his start. But the second show he brought me and, and Manny was um, Ain't Misbehaving. And I, I went to see it at the Manhattan Theater Club. And there were five people on the piano singing these songs from Fats Waller. And I said, this is a natural. And I said, yes, I'm in as a producer. And of course, we won three or four Tonys and it ran for three years. And, it, and 10 years later, it was still running somewhere. And uh, it was the thrill of my lifetime. I ended up doing about 12 shows as as associate producer, as a producer. And I won another Tony for Children of a Lesser God. Oh, yes. It became oh, a great film. Mm-hmm. Great great film with Marley Matlin. So uh, it was it was just one, theater is a wonderful experience, way different than the music business. It, it's, it's a whole different animal dealing with the, the people who own the theaters like the Schubert's or the, the Needlenders. And, you know, they're, they're in a different space. 
and you have to you have to be on their wavelength to uh, to be a, a partner with them, which I was. Wow, that's no, very that's it's an amazing career. It's so it's very exciting, especially for people like us. We're not in that business. We're not in an industry, but it's it's it seems like a small. I guess any industry you work in, I guess in some ways, is a, a small, tight knit group of people. Is that sort of similar to what you found? Obviously, um, worked with a, you've worked with a lot of people in your career, but it just seems like. That industry, just everybody knows one another, or they just sort of all have similar interests. Oh, it's 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 tight. It's like the songwriting in Nashville. You just can't come come from New York or California and just join the Nashville group of people who make hit records and write hit songs. Sometimes you have to be born into it or really accepted uh, on a, on a large scale. Uh, same thing with theater. Same thing with the uh, the music industry. Uh, it's 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 difficult to break in because we're talking about huge amounts of money to be made. So of course the people that get in uh, are running it are very uh, rigid about uh, how other people get in. Uh, but it can be cracked. They all can be cracked. You know, you just you just have to find your way in. I always said there's always a door open. You just have to go to the back or the side of the building. <laughs> That's right. You have to find. You have to or try all the, the doors and see which one is open. Right. Uh, right. Sometimes you have to go in through the luncheonette <laughs> through yeah. the window, on the side of the building. Yeah. 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 Parachute in something. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't discovered our way, but we will. Hopefully, we will. So, but you can get in the internet. The internet is a great source and a great way in. It's amazing the people, the, t- the really top people who respond to emails. If you, if you know how to go through the labyrinth of accountants and lawyers and, and how to, you know, a pu- publicists. Publicists are great people to get in touch with. Okay. That's good to know. Yeah, that is good to know. Well, I, I, I'm just amazed at your career and you've just been so kind and generous with your, with your time and um, telling us about the 60s and it sounds like it was a wonderful time where anything was possible. You know, you could just walk in at 17 and have a song and they'll listen to it. To me, that just seems so foreign, yeah. especially now. Just seems fun. Seems like it must have been a fun environment to be in. Very collaborative. It was exciting. It was, it was very, the people involved were great people. And, uh, and, and just like you and me, just trying to make a living off their music or their songs or their, or their performances. Crazy. Yeah, it really is. Well, well, it's been an honor to speak with you yes. and, and, and meet with you. And we'll have to um, certainly check out the Happy Together Tour. That sounds like a really right. great event. And it starts. Sure. In, where, are you, where are you all located? We're up in uh, by Albany, New York. Okay. Sometimes we get there. Uh, I don't know about this time. We did play there once uh, over the last four years. Uh, there's a couple of theaters up in Albany that we do frequent. So check it out. There's, this, there's a website for it. And... Uh, You'll see. see if, if it's anywhere close, you give me a call. Well, that sounds great. That sounds great. And we'd love to come and see you and sing along. That's right. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much, Ron. And I appreciate you. And you just made a great show. Thank you. Thank you for helping us out. You bet. It's been my pleasure. Okay. You take care. Success. Take Thank care. You, you too. Bye bye. Oh, we got to do the happy feeling one more time. Do you remember? <laughs> All right, let's do it, everybody, one more time. When I was a little feller, 
My papa used to say to me Son, you'll find that happy feeling A simple technicality If you're hearing my voice right now, there's a good chance you want to hear more about HOA. The story of the man behind the morning mayor is one that certainly needs to be told, and a goal is to have this story made into a movie. The script is written, and your support will help us get to the next level. If you feel motivated to do so, click the donate button in the about section. All proceeds will go towards seeing the story of Herbert Oscar Anderson on the big screen. Goodbye, God bless, and I thank you so very much.